This is Blurring the Lines with Adam Bell and Peter Nicolaitis, IT entrepreneurs. Adam and Peter take on the topics of technology, business, life, and the pursuit of happiness and blur them together in the 21st century. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the Blurring the Lines podcast. This is episode number 167. I'm your host, Adam Bell, and joining me as always is my co-host, Peter Nicolaitis. How you doing, Peter? Doing good, sir. Here, sir. Here, sir. (laughs) Wow, we've done this 167 times. 167 times. You'd think we would be better at it by now. You'd think. (laughs) We're we're kind of hard. We're hard-headed, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, usually by the time I've done something 167 times, I consider myself fairly proficient at that yeah yeah i mean i was yeah we can talk into a microphone i mean yeah 167 (laughs) times and i've talked into a microphone more than 167 times (laughs) yeah like those dance moves i was showing you i've only been doing those dance moves since monday so i've done those maybe like a few dozen times yeah that's pretty good but (laughs) imagine though once i've done them 167 times oh yeah you can close your eyes and just be talking about other things <laughs> yeah pretty sweet. you know that is unusual i don't think that it has ever come up in all 167 episodes about your dance moves i mean this is a first yeah because i generally don't have dance moves to <laughs> demonstrate so <laughs> you do i i usually do the you know at this age i do the white man underbite or overbite them. <laughs> yeah, overbite. <laughs> like Billy Crystal. He, he yes. Okay. Now, now it's making sense. Now it's making sense. <laughs> step to the left. Step to the right. Move your arm like a little bit. Move your boom, a little boom, bit. Boom. <laughs> yeah. I think that was in When Harry Met Sally. That's an old one. That uh, is an old one. Nineties, <laughs> right? Nineties. Yeah, nineties. Yeah, yeah, it was the nineties. Ah. We were young folks then. Ah, those were the days. So. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any gray, and I had uh, my well, hair. Yeah, I, I see my hair went solution. down further. Your solution to grays is just <laughs> just a little more, a little more excessive than mine. You know, <laughs> a little more, a little excessive, a little aggressive. You know. Plus, you know, oh. I I really hate combing my hair. Mm. I Th- hate that's <laughs> yes. There's a there's a trend also uh, for people in um, information security. They a lot of them tend to be bald or just like shaved head. And the ones who shave their heads are like, it's I just I don't have time. I work so hard. I just do not have time. I need those like six or seven seconds that I get back by not having to shampoo. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. I hate to shave period. So I can't imagine taking the time to shave my entire head to make sure that I didn't miss stuff. I mean, this is a convenient haircut. I cut it down short and I don't fool around with it for another three to four weeks. Ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then I don't want to do it then because it's another hassle because then I got to clean up all the little hairs that go. That's it. Especially I hate it. Like when my cleaners come and then I decide to like trim my beard and then I look down and there's like, you know, it's like a, 
It's like someone was like doling out rose petal petals after a, you know in, in in advance of the bride and groom or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you got to do it. You got to you got to start planning it. You know, if Thursday is their day to clean, Wednesday's trimming night. Trimming day is Wednesday night, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, brother. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so today wow. is April 15th. There's a couple significant things about April 15th. Although one of them is less significant today. Uh, less significant today. Which one's less significant today? Well, it's not tax day. Oh, is it, is it not tax day today? Well, no, it's, it's extended until, um, until Monday for some reason. Okay. Well, today is traditional tax day, April 15th, which has been extended. We're also naming it the liberation of Adam and Peter's money day. Uh, yes. Because we got to pay in some more and, you know, I feel yes. better about it because I feel awful that I've been holding on to this money this whole year when it should have gone to the government for people who know how to handle money better than I do. So I, uh, I, I offer my sincere regrets. If I <laughs> didn't know better, I'd swear you were being facetious. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. So yeah, I, I made a couple of, of goofs. I, I looked at, I did not expect that things were so different. And I made the mistake of comparing last year's previous um, net numbers. No, wait, last year's gross numbers to this year's net numbers. Hmm. And they were pretty close. So I thought I was doing fine. I thought if anything, I'd overpaid my estimates. Mm-hmm. Not realizing I was looking at the wrong, I was looking at profit versus gross income. And that's not what you base your taxes on. And all of a sudden I did a much better year than I had thought. Yeah. And my accountant was like, you told me it was about the same. I was like, yeah, it is. And then I looked and I was like, oh wait, no, it's not. Yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> crap. So yeah, large uncle Sam's getting a nice, I'm sorry, big fat paycheck coming his way today. So yeah, I've made I've made similar mistakes and it is difficult as a business owner because I don't I don't have the exact same salary that I had last year because like you said it's based on company profits or company gross income and then where that number can sometimes get squirrely. So yep. make a make a best number, my CPA makes a best number and so like last year our I paid too much. Yep. Um, this year I paid too little. Um, so we made an adjustment of what we need to pay. And then, so hopefully next year it'll be close to zero. And it, it was really not that bad this year. I mean, considering, you know, we're, we're making an estimate of how well is your business going to do this year in, you know, an up down economy. Hmm. Just, Scratch just imagine head. if we were like um, uh, the board of directors of a publicly traded company having to make these sort of forward-looking statements. Yeah, um, well, yeah, it would it would be crazy. I mean, it, you look at you know we talked about the the new commerce edition of Microsoft. Their <laughs> the, their move was 
to uh, to regulate their income, to yep. essentially establish a monthly recurring revenue that they could count on for the next year that they could also report to their shareholders and get a handle on taxes a little bit better. You know, I, I don't know that that was their motivation. Um, well, and to more, make more money, they're in business. I was to make money. Gonna say, let's, let's be honest. Their bottom line motivation was to make more money. That's why they did this. Right. Yeah. And okay. To be fair, they had not raised their prices in a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they were just the first to really drop the bombshell. I've noticed others, you know, like Dell, Lenovo, other hosted services. Everyone's like, hey, prices are going up. Yeah. Uh, and I did the same thing. Yeah. My consulting rates have gone up uh, because everything else goes up, right? Um, so it's just, that's the way it is. You know, prices are not, uh, are not set in stone. And we do get used to the idea that prices will stay the same. Mm-hmm. sometimes prices go down mm-hmm. thanks to economies of scale and improved efficiencies right mm-hmm. but also sometimes prices go up right like <laughs> i don't know the last time that i ever went out to like, like so like buying a new computer for instance historically prices have come down for computers and technology um but i don't remember the last time that i went out to restaurants and observed that prices were cheaper than a previous visit that just generally doesn't happen. You know, sometimes yeah. there'll be like little fluctuations like, oh, the price of beef is way up or something, mm-hmm. you know, but in general, you know, used to cost, I don't make up numbers, right? An entree used to cost 10 bucks and now it costs like 30 bucks. And of course, yeah. if you start to upscale your restaurants a little bit, you know, now an entree costs 50 bucks or a hundred bucks or, you know, so mm-hmm. in general, I observe prices generally tend to go up. Did I, <laughs> did I tell you about my car tires last week? We did. So we talked about your, your Amazon returns and then you ended up getting them. Uh, so are they on now? They're on my back deck. Oh, lovely. I mean, that's very good place for them to be. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I was able to cancel the order because Amazon was like, yeah, we don't know where these tires are and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> I called a local tire shop about a mile from my place, a little over you know, half a mile away from here. I said, look, I got new tires um can you install them they're like yep 25 bucks a tire mountain balance i was like great great let's just do that so Mm -hmm. not dealing with any of these big chains not trying to have uh, amazon coordinate stuff for me anymore (laughs) but speaking of coordinating things and prices going up i've decided that it's time to remodel my kitchen yeah we we talked about that and um, I have not yet taken the plunge to actually call anyone <laughs> <laughs> other than my friend, Jack, who used to do this kind of work, but doesn't do this kind of work anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I got to I got to make a trip. And, you know, most people who are in the pro, pros in the business generally are like, yeah, you know, Home Depot, not so good. Um, but my um, uh, contractor friend did say that Home Depot does have some good stuff, mm-hmm. but they generally just lead with all the cheapest stuff. So I'm like, ugh, kind of really kind of torn. So yeah. my good, my running buddy did just go to Home Depot for his new cabinets. So I'm kind of like, maybe I'll just wait and see what he says. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've bought cabinets from, from Home Depot, but that was, you know, a good 20 some odd years ago now mm-hmm. so the what i got were okay 
um, but I've gotten better before. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I've done enough re renovations now that, you know, I've, I've thought in my mind, like, well, solid wood doors and stuff like that, that are just, you know, one piece of wood with actually trim and like, why don't we do it like that anymore? Well, we don't do it like that anymore because one piece of wood warps, <laughs> one piece of wood breaks. So this mm -hmm. engineered MDF wood and particle board stuff that we put together is heavier, but it's, it's not going to, now, if you get it wet, your hose, I mean, don't get it wet, but it's not going to shrink, swell, warp, do all the things that just regular wood will do. It's yep. mostly glue. Yep. <laughs> It's, it's a plastic door, really. Plastic door. So. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, there's a the whole question about countertops. And you know, mm -hmm. I think the biggest, the most dramatic change that I'll make uh, will be, I have a peninsula, not an island, but I have a peninsula in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. And um, just chopping that and lowering it down from like 48 inches to standard height for like a workspace. Because mm -hmm. right now it's breakfast bar height. Mm -hmm. which I can use, but I also have a perfectly serviceable table sitting right there. So I can sit at that <laughs> table. Um, and this would give me more workspace when it comes to preparing meals and stuff, which I'm doing more often these days. I'm cooking more. And so I'm always running out of space. I'm running out of room to do the things that I'm trying mm -hmm. to do. So that'll, that'll hopefully help. Have you ever tried HelloFresh or something like that? Yep. So we're trying that right now. Well, I, I, I did uh, Blue Apron is what I did for a while. Mm -hmm. And it was fun. It was nice. And I, I always saved all the recipes because I'm like, I can do this again myself at some point. Never did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you can save the recipes. It's the, the convenience of, of having it all come together and you didn't have to put it all together. And because it's only giving you enough spices or whatever for this recipe, you don't have all these extra spices. So, yep. so I, I can see the convenience of it. What's inconvenient yeah. right now is uh, my wife has never made these recipes. So she's got to learn them for the first time, which is always slower than once you know, once you've done something before. Yep. <laughs> I, I seem to remember uh, liking the, um, liking the hello, uh, the, the, the blue apron stuff. Um, I get a lot of recipes these days out of the New York times. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I do pay for the New York times, mostly for the spelling bee and the crossword now, but <laughs> it was recipes and news articles. So, um, so I do that, but, um, I really, I love the ingredients. I detest the way whoever writes the recipes puts the steps down because it'll be like step one and step one is like 15 steps <laughs> in one paragraph uh -huh. so it's like step one pour the eggs into the bowl add the cumin salt and pepper stir until it you know beat, beat until it is fluffy add the blah 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 do this do this while you're waiting for this turn on the oven and preheat it to 450 degrees that's step one yeah <laughs> there's only three steps <sighs> And so I always end up missing something. So, so anything that's more complicated than, you know, like, than like five steps, really five steps, I always will 
copy and paste it into a text document and break it down into the actual number of steps. Mm-hmm. And then things go so smoothly. Yeah. But it's it's like like Microsoft documentation will frequently say stuff like select horizontal line from the insert menu. Nah. Okay. No. <laughs> click insert, click horizontal line. <laughs> yeah don't don't you know it's just like what kind of idiot writes directions like that you know like it's like put away the bread after you've made the sandwich <laughs> so anyway okay enough ragging on microsoft for one day yeah well and, and i think i mentioned today's also good friday which is not yeah. the 15th it's just how easter fell <laughs> <laughs> yes, but Easter is coincidentally still on a Sunday this week, this this year and this week. So that's yeah, yeah. That's technically next week. So. I, I hope Thanksgiving's on Thursday too this year because that's so convenient. I it does work out better that way. So <laughs> okay, Good Friday landed on a Friday. Amazing. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've uh, recently been playing with DKIM, D-K-I-M, Domain Keys Identification m- Manglement or something. Management? Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> I actually um, don't even know what the acronym stands for. I just uh, know what it's supposed to do. Uh, it's Domain Keys Identifier. I always forget the... Mail. Identified mail. There you go. Yes. So... The, the the holy trinity of like not having your email spoofed are SPF, which is um, sender policy framework, where you essentially say, hey, these are servers that could send email for my domain. And that used to be great, all right? Um, but apparently it's not as good. And then DKIM came along and said, well, we will now digitally sign emails coming from these servers that you claim to have. And on top of that, um, you list these in DNS records. So if you are a receiving mail server, you can check the authenticity and say, ah, yes, not only is this a valid server of Adam's, but Adam signed it with this certificate. And yes, I can tell that really is him sending it. And that way, if I get email that's coming from evilbadguy.com spoofing you, I can just say, doesn't look legit, reject, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I'm, I miss the days when I used to, I mean, so what Peter's talking about, I used to be able from a command prompt, go to Peter's mail server, log in, not necessarily log in, but connect to it. And from a terminal session, I could send Peter an email from himself from his mail server and there was no authentication whether it was real or not <laughs> yep and that's something that that was that was known as a, a phenomenon known as an open relay yeah. <laughs> you got mail for me sure great you're, you're pretending to be mail from me sure we'll still take it great bring it on in that's yeah, awesome. send it <laughs> so what got me down this road was a client of ours uh, was running this, they've got this app and they're routinely getting blacklisted, right? So their mail yeah. server is getting blacklisted. And because we offer some shared hosting, uh, that would mean other people, other clients would also get blacklisted. Mm-hmm. Now, the funny part is no one ever noticed except the client themselves. 
<laughs> right. So none of the shared hosting people ever complained about their mails not going through anything like that. Mm-hmm. But this one did. And um, he looked at it and he said, oh, you, you know, you're um, you really got to set up DMARC, uh, which is another extension on a DCAM, which is domain messaging authentication and uh, reporting and conformance. Conformance. <laughs> nice. Yes. That's a good word. And and I was like, OK, so what happened with all that? So, so I started diving into it, looking around. I was like, yeah, we really do. It is time to clean up and revisit all of our you know, email offerings and, and really clean this up. And if you use something like a hosted exchange service, like Google, M365, or other hosted exchange, most places are have like a little click, 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 and they generate the keys, and it's good. But you generally, if you do it all in one place, they may do everything for you. Otherwise, you have to still update your DNS records. Mm-hmm. So like if you have your email and your DNS hosted with Amazon AWS and you have your DNS and your email hosted on Microsoft, then it's just like click, click, click and we're done. Yeah. And it's great. But if you have anything separately, then it's a separate step. And a best practice for DKIM is that you're supposed to rotate your keys like every six months because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you win. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're doing this as a manual thing, like on a Linux server where you're typing it all up and you know, it's like, it it can be automated. Obviously it can be automated, but it's not. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things that I came out, I realized that there were only three domains for which this was a problem for ours because my hosting operation it's small you know it's a few little one-offs here and it's just not worth the hassle anymore so i decided what i was going to tell is these few remaining customers is we're not going to support this anymore if you want our el cheapo mail service that's going away but you can we can move you to g suite or move you to uh hosted you know microsoft 365 which is not all that expensive anyway it's not it's not. But if your entire, you know, internet hosting budget is $20 a month, <laughs> then that's, it's that expensive, right? Yeah. So, but that's okay. You know, because if their entire 20 budget is $20 a month, that means that at most I'm losing $20 a month. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. not really worried about that one. So, so, um, so then I started looking at it in, into the problem and, you know, I was going up based on what the, what the client had told us because he said, well, you know, you, you've really got to get your DMARC all fixed up and blah, blah, blah. And so I looked into it, looked into it. And I realized that, I, you know, I started looking at some of the rejection emails that we were getting mostly from Google and Google says, you know, we're rejecting these emails because they are likely spam based on the contents Mm-hmm. And I looked and they were like, they were spam. They weren't yeah. likely spam. These, these were just spam. Yeah. And I tracked it down to a feature uh, contact form for the client that was complaining. Mm-hmm. And I said, huh. So the problem is that they have this um, interface where you can send, you can fill out a web form and it uh, interfaces with their application that they provide on the back end. And it's something we wrote like 20 years ago, more than 20 years, it was like 1999. But it has a feature where you can arbitrarily 
CC anybody. You can carbon copy anyone from the form. <laughs> well, spammers just go in, put in garbage in the field to interface with their application, which their application rejects. But our web server was happily taking the emails and recopying <laughs> any arbitrary recipient. recipient. So essentially, that web form made our server into an open relay. And I got, I got a script for you. <laughs> and, and I just said, I looked at it and I was like, I can't believe we're still allowing this. <laughs> you know, like 22 <laughs> years ago, sure, fine. I was like, all right, this has to stop. And he's like, well, is there any way we could support it? I said, yes, but it would be, it means we have to set up a mailing list. And anyone who would receive one of these CCs needs to opt in so that they can register their email address with us so that you can do this. And I can tell right off the bat, you're not going to want to pay for us for the development time to set this up. No. I, just, I, know, I know you guys, I know your budget, you're not going to, because they're telecom and they're super cheap. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to want to do that. I said, you know, and, 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 and the apps that are using this is a few of their larger uh, customers, their hospitals. And I said, well, what they should do is they should internally host the contact form interface with you by sending your me their message to your application and then using their own internal email server to send the email. And then this problem just goes away. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, I did revisit and found out that DKIM for a number of my hosted uh, you know, clients was either not ever set up or not set up correctly. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, better fix that. So I started looking at it. And one thing that I looked at to, um, to make it as a workaround, as opposed to me having to do all of my rolling my own DKIM, because I still have one Linux mail server out there running Postfix, which is just a forwarder. A few clients were too cheap. They didn't you know, want to pay for their own email. They're like, I want to keep my Gmail, but I don't want to pay anybody for it. And I don't want to pay Google, right, to host my domain. I just want to be able, you know, you email joe at example.com and it forwards to joeexample at gmail.com. And so I have had this little Linux, you know, Linode box standing up for years that all it does is it just takes an email and it forwards it. Mm -hmm. Well, these people receive spam. They, get, they sign up for whatever and they start getting spammed my server takes said spam and hands it over to Gmail or hands it over to Earthlink or Hotmail and Gmail, Earthlink and Hotmail look and say, you're sending me spam. I'm going to blacklist you. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Right. <laughs> and then the client complains to me that they're not getting their emails. So I said, all right, I think this is going to go away. But in the meantime, you know, like I'm going to give them some time. I'll give them to the end of the year. In the meantime, wait, there's, there's some options though, like, cause there are email forwarding services. Mm -hmm. So I took a look at one called forwardemail.net. Okay. Their professional service starts out at only three bucks a month <laughs> for like unlimited domains. <laughs> so I could easily handle my own uh, and, and a few other domains and, uh, and a handful of clients. And all they do is they just relay, they just take your email and just, 
you know, you set it up, you set it up with DNS as their MX records. And then in their portal, you set up all of your aliases. So I set up with my own with nicolaitis.com as a test. And I was like, let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. So I rang it up, put it in. Don't get any messages. I was going to say, what about the spam issue? That would be their problem. <laughs> right. And presumably I'm paying someone else whose full-time product service offering is to handle spam. So okay. they're going to put, they do put spam filters in front of it. So, okay, but, but if anyone's getting blacklisted, they're going to get blacklisted. They can deal with the headache of getting de-blacklisted, which is something I have to face all the time with this other client. I was mm -hmm. like, so that, that problem away, you know, I will happily pay you $3 a month to make this problem go away. Mm -hmm. So I sent my test email. It didn't go. Nothing. I waited a good 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And I'm watching the old mail server to make sure, no, the email is not hitting my old mail server. An hour goes by. I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. I can't wait any longer. I roll the, the mail exchanger records back to my server. And then sometime later that night, the retries kicked in and my tests came through. Okay. So I didn't, I, so some email was delayed, but I never got it. So I submit a, a support request to them, or I tried. And it says, you have exceeded the maximum number of support requests. <laughs> well, that's because earlier in the day, I had submitted a support request asking, is it possible to bulk import all of my email aliases so I don't have to type them all in one at a time? Um, let me just double check. Okay, it has been well over 24 hours at this point, and they still have not answered that. And my back of the napkin math would seem to indicate that you are only allowed to have one open support request at a time. Well, they have not responded to the first support request. So I can't open one where I have a real clear <laughs> and present need. Uh huh. Then at 6 a.m. this morning, they sent me a bunch of things saying like, hey, welcome aboard, the one for each domain that I had added. And they said, if you have any questions, you can just reply to this email, which I did. And this was five hours ago. I replied with the same exact thing. No response. <laughs> so... I'm getting the feeling like this is not a service that I want to be uh, wasting any more time or money on. Yeah. So um, there are some competitors and another option, like is if you have your domain, most uh, some domain registrars also offer web and email hosting. Mm -hmm. And like, I have one domain for a friend at namecheap.com. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I have an email forwarder. So anything at his domain goes to his Comcast email address. Mm -hmm. I could do the same thing with these, you know, El Cheapo customers, but then I lose the ability to host their website through Cloudflare, which is protecting their website, which since I'm on a shared web hosting that I'm offering for other clients, I really want to keep that. Yeah. So it's just like, this is all becoming a real hassle. So I have an email drafted, just let them know, hey, like we can set up a quick call. I'll explain it. But end of the year, we're doing away with our email relaying service. That's just done. We're just done with that. For my larger clients who are actually paying, you know, enough, 
Mm -hmm. I will go in and rotate those DKIM keys every six months. We will troubleshoot things. And, you know, but for this, it's just like, sorry, we're not in the business of being El Cheapo anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's my latest adventures with DKIM. About (laughs) you. (laughs) Well, so it's funny. Well, before I go on that, but I used to do the email server that I used was a Windows email server by True North Software Internet Anywhere. Did you ever fool with that one? I believe that I fooled with it. Is it, did, um, it did we didn't actually and, run it. Yeah, it did pop and it did IMAP. Yes. And, uh, I had a client who ran that. Mm-hmm. So yes, I ran into it once and we migrated them off of it. Yeah. And it was pretty cool for, I mean, that, that was early in my system administration years. Yes. And so it was very exciting for me to be able to run an email server and I could host multiple domains. So I could use different domain names to do it. It had some spam filtering built in. Like it it primarily, it's spam filtering was um, blasts, you know, detecting a a number of email, you know, a volume of emails and then block and stop and things like that. So it was, that was fun to me. It was very, I really enjoyed just watching Emails come into the queue, they sit there and build, and then a client grabs them and pulls them out of the queue. You know, <laughs> it was just, I was like, this is cool IT stuff right here. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's fun for sure. Watching that, you know, like, oh, look, there's a mail in the inbox. Oh, it just got taken out. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, neat. Yeah, that's yeah. fun, but I don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> no, no, nobody has time for pop anymore. But, but that was really cool though, when it, you know, the pop email was sitting there on the server and then you, then you watch, okay, Peter connected. Look, he just took all of his email. Yep. <laughs> He's yeah. downloading it. Yeah. <laughs> Save a copy on the server for 30 days, just in case. Just in case. And that was yeah. always a problem. Oh my goodness. Because inevitably I would have a client who was set up like that. And then something would go wrong with the client or the server and they would get all their emails again. Yeah, and they would be irate that they're and then, you know, so we fixed that with IMAP, mm-hmm. right? IMAP is great. You know, IMAP is the way things are just supposed to work, <laughs> um, which uh, and then, of course, you know, Microsoft had to come along and extend that with Mappy. Mappy. And, you know, so you flip it on its head. So you're not doing IMAP anymore. You're doing Mappy and, you know, you get a lot more back and forth and calendaring support and other stuff like that. I forget, is your, are you primarily M365 or are you G Suite for Sublime? We, well, my company still runs on G Suite, but for the most yeah. part, we recommend Office 365 and that's what we deploy. <clears throat> I'm the same way. Right. Um, and I'll tell you why. The reason that we're still on G Suite is just legacy. It's we've been on it since they in, and since they initiated it back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been on the free program, which is going away in a month or two. Yeah. Um, and I just like, you know, going through a migration right now, I'm just going to pay the thing and we're going to probably stay on G Suite for now. Right. Yeah. Same. So, Yeah. I mean, I I had the free for a while, but then I've paid for enterprise upgrades for like retention and things that I wanted. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pay for it. And it's really not that expensive. Um, But the biggest thing is uh, if it had the office suite is included as part of Google, then I would do it. And 
you know how difficult it is to try to get to somebody to engage with Google Docs and Google Sheets and say, you can do all these things there. No, you can't. I mean, there are, and, and I agree that I have to have Word and Excel installed on my computer for handling some things. Yep. For just data processing. Yep. I download spreadsheets. I process them. I upload them. I do things with them that way. Yep. I could technically do it in sheets, but it'd be so much more difficult. Yeah. And the funny thing is, too, is like, yeah, you, you can technically that you can do just about everything for um, in Microsoft Office. You can do just about everything in Google you know, G Suite also, but not everything, just about everything. Yeah. And it sometimes it hurts a lot more <laughs> to yeah. do it um, where where Google really kicks Microsoft right in the teeth, though, is just like the online collaboration stuff and like the native web interface. Since since Google was web native from the get go, mm -hmm. uh, the web experience in Google is still, I find, superior and always like trying to open and close documents from SharePoint online natively, not opening a mapped folder through the OneDrive client to SharePoint and double clicking an Excel document there, but going into a modern version of Excel and saying file open, browse to places, go to SharePoint, that almost always either fails to open or fails to save the file. And I end up having to browse to my local file system to find the SharePoint mounted synchronized drive and drop the files that I want there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so they just, they just don't have that. And, and every now and then, uh, like heaven forbid, you get logged out of, or you need to re-authenticate to your um, office account, op, yeah. you know, account and like everything breaks and mm -hmm. I've got to sign out of everything and manually sign back in to like Outlook and Word and my OneDrive client and my iPhone. And it's just, that's just a hassle that really shouldn't, doesn't, doesn't need to exist. Yeah. Google does that so much better. All of the apps seamlessly work with each other yep. and it doesn't feel like you've left one app and gone to another. Yep. And I'm, I know that you're going to different servers and there are different platforms, just like Microsoft is doing. But if you're in, you know, if you're in SharePoint and you want to drop something in Teams, it's practically a whole nother application that data has ported between the two of them. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> totally is. And that's the, you know, that's the thing where it's Google being cloud native, even you know, like Google docs was originally rightly, and it was just another service that they, that they acquired and pulled in. And it just, it works because it's, it's not something that was built for a desktop in MS DOS and then ported to Windows 3.1 and then ported up to Windows 95 and Windows NT and eventually up to the web. Yeah. You know, something. So there you go. Yeah. That was a little bit of history in Office documentation <laughs> for you. Yeah? So. yeah, I do. And the other thing is, hey, Peter and I worked on a document. How could I find that? Okay. I'll go to drive and it doesn't matter where that document is. If I search for it and I find, if I, use the search terms of the title or the content, okay. it'll find it no matter where it is. Yep. Good luck with that in office. <laughs> you know, yeah. One drive. And if I go into my Gmail, I want to search uh, for something that you and I talked about in Hangouts. I just search for it. It'll yep. come up. 
<laughs> because Google, get this, Google knows search. They do know search. Oh, funny <laughs> how that works. So, so back yeah. to your DKIM question. Yeah. So we are, we've got a client that right now, it's got this weird phenomenon that we can't figure out. And so we're reviewing all the records and, you know, he's asking me, my system admin's asking me, well, we need DKM set up and I've done that and I fixed that. And do we need DMARC? And I'm like, you need to ask one of the other guys um, who knows this a little bit better than me because uh, this does not interest me. So I'm not real engaged in it. I do know I don't want a DMARC email every single day to review because I'm not going to review it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not an AI. I'm not going to review it. So don't even send it. Don't yep. generate it. Don't put yep. it in. I don't want it. I can just send it to your email, right? Yeah. Yeah. It sends it to your email. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, but then, so the, the DKIM, we're making sure that the records were good there, but our phenomenon, which we still haven't figured out what's happening. It has to do with our filtering system. It has to. Um, they you are out of the office. You uh, get an, an Amazon email saying, Peter, your device or your, your whatever has shipped. You reply automatically because you didn't set up your auto reply to only reply to your own contacts. You said reply to all. You replied automatically back to the Amazon notification, which is not a valid email because they don't want spam back. They don't want you to tell them, auto reply for the millions of emails they send every minute no reply at blah 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 yeah so i'm just gonna reply to that yeah so peter's email auto replies because he's out of the office he replies back to amazon amazon says drop well we are getting a ticket generated from that drop because that email is then coming to our help desk email we have no idea how it's getting to the help desk email how does it even know the help desk email exists because their domain and our domain have never touched. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not like, well, you know, they, we used to be on the same server. No, they're on office 365. They've always been on office 365 before they were ever a client. They're not associated in any way in ownership. We don't own, I mean, like we don't own their domain, but when this occurs, we get a help desk ticket and we don't know how. <laughs> Uh, email hosting is such a pain you know and that's that's it that's where it's it's just it's a pain mm -hmm. it is a pain and this is why i just don't like i don't host my own email anymore i just i gotta get rid of this altogether. and as someone who used to manage you know like linux-based pop and imap and s and send mail not even mm -hmm. postfix send mail server and exchange on-prem and stuff like that, i just I just don't want that again. Mm -hmm. No more. Yeah. No more. I hated those phone calls of Peter. Um, I didn't get an email from so-and-so. Uh-huh. They sent it. Yep. And I didn't get it. I'm sure they did. <laughs> so you need to find out why I'm not getting that email. And, and then, then finding out and trying to explain to people like, yeah, because we blocked them because they're, they've been compromised and they're sending spam and viruses by email. Yeah, but I know the guy. Yeah, and I, we know we, we want that email and I just talked to their IT guy and he says they've got it fixed. 
uh-huh. then eventually the filtering service that we were, we are using will unblock them. Can't you and do then, that now, Peter? No. <laughs> Go away. Go away. <laughs> Oh, boy. You can tell I've I've had this conversation before. <laughs> uh-huh. Funny how that is, isn't it? Uh all right. So so you showed me a dance. Why in <laughs> the world did you do that dance to begin with? <laughs> so so the other day uh, the lady and I were out for a walk and she mentioned that she had class that night and my yoga class for Monday night had gotten canceled the one I mm-hmm. was going to attend. And she was running a little bit late and she's a dancer. That's like her thing. Like my, where, when I'm running, she's dancing. That's, that's her, her thing. Pretty freaking impressive too. See watching her do Latin dance and stuff like, I'm like, I can't even touch that. I'm not even going to try, you, but you are learning she, to dance, aren't you? Well, she recently started this uh, this popping class, which I guess it's an outgrowth of hip hop, tangentially related to like break dancing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so she had mentioned like, yeah, she'd come to popping class, and I didn't say yes or no, but you know, we're at her place <laughs> and her um, Tesla. She's got the fancy run flat tires, yeah, and they're flat, but they're not running. <laughs> so I said, well, I can just drive you. And so what are you going to, I says, well, you said to, you know, come to class. She's like, really? So sure. So I went to my first dance class in like two years or so. <laughs> uh, Cause I had taken tango lessons a couple of years ago. Yeah. So that was, as I was, that was like three years ago, three. Wow. So, um, so I did this popping class and <laughs> it was pretty straightforward. It's fun. Like, you know, I'm still, I not, I'm just trying to get the basics of the steps and turning my body in the right direction. Um, but, um, you know, it was, it was kind of fun. It was fairly straightforward. And I was like, I can, I can do this. It's kind mm-hmm. of, it's kind of fun. So, so I did that on Monday night and it looks like I'll probably go back this next Monday, you know, nice. so I guess. So if I do it for like three weeks in a row, I guess that becomes a habit. Is that how that works? Yeah. I don't know. So, anyway. <laughs> well, my, my wife and I are going to go do dance lessons again once, once Lexi graduates, my young, my youngest daughter. Cool. <laughs> so she, we went to a dance competition recently. <clears throat> it's been over a month ago, but we went recently. Have you ever been to a dance competition? Like dancing with not- the stars competition. <laughs> I have not been to a dance competition. Now, I'm sure that she could tell me all about that kind of stuff because she's got trophies and awards and stuff. What it it is sensory overload, at least the one that I went to. Okay. Uh, it was just it was it was way too stimulating. Mm-hmm. There was I mean, the music was on all the time whatever they were doing and then they were always trying to keep everybody hyped up and that goes on i mean that's like oh that's cool for the first hour then the second hour then i'm like i'm getting tired i just don't like being this excited and and upbeat for an eight hour day so Mm -hmm. you know it was exhausting like now next time i know i'm gonna have to go and like take breaks because it's just I mean, it's just very stimulating. You got these dancers out here doing very interesting, exciting moves and dances. And I mean, and you are engaged with them because it is really good, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's just but too it's much. Stimuli. Yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting. Yep. And the thing was these dancers, they danced all day and, we, and then they were like, 
and my daughter couldn't go because my daughter at the time was 17. Either way, she's not 21. They were all going to the bar afterwards. They're like, well, we're going to Cotton Eye Joe so we can we can dance more tonight. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, <laughs> yes. So yeah, yeah, she does that. And uh, I don't. But I liken that to like, you know, my my purple belt, my brown belt, my black belt tests where, you know, we're going at it full force for four to six hours. And then like, now let's go drinking or or for me, you know, running a marathon. Let's go and, you know, let's just go do that. And then, you know, hang on. So those are my endurance activities. But I'm, you know, watching people dance. That's that's work. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're clapping and cheering for them and everything else. And I'm like, yeah. This was really intense. Um, it was it was fun. I wouldn't want to do it all the time. Like I said, I know how to I know how to compensate more. Like, okay, I'm going to use the restroom. Where'd Adam go? He took a 15 minute break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, cool. All right. Well, what else we got? What's next on our list? So. I had a uh, I had a call today with my with our friend uh, Tim Richter and he says hello. Tim. <laughs> and uh, he was he was moving uh, away from Threat Locker. Are you familiar with Threat Locker? I am not uh, familiar with Threat Locker. What is Threat Locker? So I will I will explain Threat Threat Locker, but before I do that, uh, I'm going to back up to Zero Trust Security, which you're very used to Zero Trust Security. So zero trust security can mean different things to different people, mm-hmm. but essentially the way I like the, um, you know, it, I, I view it as a, an extension of least privilege and always verifying uh, the who mm-hmm. and the where and the when and not uh not trusting that just cause you logged in to, you know, you gave me a password yesterday that you're still the same person. Mm-hmm. So revalidating and also factoring in like places like where you're coming from and just lots, lots of stuff like that. But zero trust can mean a lot of things, but, but yes, talk to me. What is, what does threat locker do exactly? So, so threat locker uses the zero trust security model, but they're using it on a PC and the applications and the operating system are it builds zero trust around that. So what it does is it more or less takes a snapshot of how the computer exists today, the programs that it's running today, um, and then says if anything else tries to happen to this computer, to the applications and programs, then I'm not going to allow it. Yep. As you can see that, I mean, you know, that is gonna be a very large, difficult task and it's also going to be a great big pain in the rear because it also has to keep up with updates because Adobe Reader has updates. Adobe Reader is a valid program. It's now got updates. You've got to trust and allow those updates to occur without having to go into every single computer and update Adobe Reader. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the administrative nightmare of it. You know, Tim's trying to deal with big clients, like a, a large volume of clients who have a large, you know, grouping of PCs and softwares and things need to be updated. And so every time something, the updates are supposed to, to just go. 
a, a valid software is supposed to sure. just go. So that Adobe sure. Reader update should have occurred. Threat Locker is supposed to know that that update is from Adobe. It's assigned and it allows it to install. But it does, you know, doesn't always work exactly the way that it does. Or if you need as a user to add an add-on, well, that wasn't a trusted application. So it's got to be added. Uh, and it's a big administrative headache from maintaining that in a dynamic environment. Now, I would say that it does have its place. There, there would be some places where this would be perfect. If you're talking about a point of sale system that doesn't change from day to day, but is actually a PC, this would be great for that. You, those, those users on the counter, they wouldn't be able to change anything or go out to websites and download something on that point of sale system. So that would be really good. Bank terminals, we work with credit unions. Having that on a bank terminal where you can't possibly have any other software that could possibly steal your information from scraping their core system, I mean, that, that'd be a good application, a threat yes, loss. I'm with you. Now, you, if you were a marketing executive and was doing software develop, you know, image development, that would be an awful program for you. <laughs> you know? Yes, because you're changing everything all the time. Yeah, you're changing fonts, you're changing, you know, resolution stuff. You're, I mean, you're always going to be messing around with things that you've got to be able to change dynamically yep. to do your job. So, so it's lousy, you know, so the, the uh, threat locker would love to be able to say, and they do say, you know, there's no need for antivirus with us because antivirus, you've got heuristic scans, you've got yep. uh, all definitions that you've got to maintain. Yeah. And they're right. They if are right. On, yeah. If you're full on whitelisting, only trusted stuff can run. Yeah. Great. Don't need antivirus. Don't but, need it. But, you know, it's like utopian societies. I mean, communism's perfect if everybody shares and there are no greedy people. <laughs> yeah. It's great. great. It works perfect. Works perfect. Sounds good. Unfortunately, <laughs> there are greedy people in the world and it doesn't work because we are people. Oh. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. And, and, uh, and I got to share with you a little bit of something you didn't know in a security wise session. And that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> well, I'm not familiar with that vendor, but I am, yeah. I am familiar with the idea of web of whitelisting for yeah. sure. So yeah. yes. Yeah. Yep. There's, but there's very few security vendors that I know about that you, don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, we evaluated that three years ago. Yeah. Oh, that's crap. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to touch that one. That's garbage. <laughs> oh, brother. Well, cool. All right. What else we got? Let's see. We've got we did popping. We've well, we've got other things that are probably run long now. Uh, you still running your ultra running shoes? Uh yeah, my my ultra ultras. My ultra, ultra, ultras. Ultra, yes. ultra? Ultra, ultras. Yes. Although yesterday I did go and um, I, for the first time in months, I pulled out my um, my Merrill trail gloves, which are like my pretty minimalist trail running shoes. Mm -hmm. And did about just, uh, I did like six miles in the trails. This weekend, it'll be eight and a half miles with about, I think, 
700 feet of elevation or so. Mm -hmm. So this is like a, a, a minor tapering week where I dip back down and then next week it's back up to like 10 or 12 miles. I forget. I forget. But yeah, the, um, the ultra um, lone peak gloves are working out really, uh, not gloves, shoes are working pretty well for me. I like them. Um, again, with the, the caveat that I need to rip the insoles out of them. Got to tear those. The, 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 so the built, did I, uh, did we not talk about these yet? I can't no, remember no. who I've talked to them about. So I bought the ultra lone peak version fives uh, about a month and a half ago. And I went out on a day which was very snowy and I loved them. Now, when things are very snowy, like a lot of snow on the ground, I don't do the super duper technical trails. Mm -hmm. So things that, you know, where it's jagged rocks and boulders where, you know, even on a good day, you're at a risk of like twisting an ankle or something like that. If you fall down between them, I don't touch those when they're covered with six inches of snow. Mm -hmm. because then you can't even see the pit traps that are just waiting for you. Right. Yeah. So I went on relatively light, easy trails, loved them, called the store before I was even home from my run said, hold another pair for me. <laughs> Great. So I got them. The next time I took them out, it was not a snowy day. It was sunny and all of those exposed jagged rocks were out. And so I was doing a different, more technical trail and it felt like I was going to roll my ankle, like almost every step of the way, totally different feel, unstable, wobbly. I felt like I was up on stilts and, you know, going off in each direction. It's like, what the heck happened? And I thought about it and I was like, wow, okay, well, maybe it was just a bad day. Let me try another one. And I did it at the same time, same, you know, similar type trail, same experience. I was like, this is not fun. I, I don't like this. I'm not having fun with, you know, this is a bad experience. Mm -hmm. So one of them was in pretty good shape. The one that I had worn that one time out on the snowy day. I'm like, they'll take these back. I could do that. But the other ones were, you know, lighter in color. They're all scuffed up and scraped. And I was like, they're not going to take these back. So what can I do? You know, like maybe I'll just wear them in the winter time. In which case I have like five year supply of shoes here for those <laughs> days. And then I thought, I was like, what if I can pull the insoles out? And sure enough, it's got removable, removable insoles. So I just yanked them out, went for a quick little half mile technical trail run to test them out. They're great. Perfect. Love them. And so I ripped the insoles out of the other ones. And these are now my go-to, you know, like hardcore trail running shoes. And they've got some serious treads on these things. They're like claws. So, um, yeah. So I do like the Ultra Lone Peak Trail um, version five trail shoes. I did not try version six because I got a closeout deal on version fives. Mm -hmm. But they're fine. They're not minimalist, which is my normal thing. Um, but uh, they're, they're, they're pretty slick. So I'm liking mm -hmm. those. Cool. Yep. yep. There you go. All right. All right. Well, this week I didn't do CrossFit. I did yoga every morning and okay. primarily for, um, I wanted to give myself a, a rest. Um, I've been going, been working at the farm every weekend, physically working at the farm. So I was doing five days, well, between three and five days of CrossFit during the week. And okay. then, then doing all weekend and then allowing myself to go sleep in on Monday, but then doing it all over again. And that's been going on for three weeks and bookending it with 
working at the farm and I was like, I need a rest. And my flexibility has gone down, uh, can barely touch my toes again, even though, you know, when I go CrossFit, I always stretch before and I stretch Mm -hmm. after, Mm -hmm. but it's not the same as doing a dedicated yoga session. So this week I focused on that and my flexibility has gotten slightly better. The, The worst thing I can do is, you know, caterpillar pose that one's i am so stiff they're like why don't you lean forward i'm like i am leaning forward (laughs) i I need a block uh and and i really need like a half a block because i just need to because if i get too much on my block i'm so stiff that it actually hurts my knees a little bit the stretch (laughs) you can always bend your knees a little bit too yeah and bend my knees a little bit and that'll help and you can also do that standing up too just ragdoll pose yeah. And so, and I, and I have found that I can't, uh, I can't do that cold. Like my back, okay. my back is so stiff. Yep. If I just bend over, it just hurts. So I've got to, I've got to work up to that. And it's funny the, the, the guy that I, um, usually do uh, Travis Elliott, he's got videos and I like his stuff. Mm-hmm. This particular, particular set I was doing this week starts with that as the first move. Okay. And I have to just do that one later because I'm too stiff and it, it hurts too much. <laughs> so I have his book, but I've never like gone through any of his sequences or anything. He's an interesting dude. I mm-hmm. mean, he's definitely a, a, a granola yogi, uh, but he is, he does say some interesting things. Like when you're, he, he has good banter. while 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 you're doing the yoga you know he'll talk he'll say and and so and so says that the three tenets of this are you know xyz and he talks through them and you know they're like well yeah i wish i had more patience and compassion and (laughs) simplicity i would like that (laughs) it sounds sounds kind of vaguely familiar it sounds vaguely like some stuff i might talk about you know talk about compassion about like you know for yourself when you're in one of these poses yeah 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 yeah. don't try to kill yourself in this pose that defeats the purpose yeah so he like i say he's got he's got pretty good uh i don't know what you want to call that banter i mean banter is not the right term but yeah. audio yeah. content audio content <laughs> yeah but i do like i like his uh his yoga sessions cool all right well maybe i'll uh, maybe i'll revisit one of his uh maybe i'll check his stuff out i always like extra fodder for for banter and stuff like that so i think banter he would fodder. be right up your alley though i mean as far as like in your you know in your section of the woods Yep. Uh, well, he, he he is a Krupa, uh, Krupalu instructor, and they're right out in the in Western Mass. Okay. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. All right. Cool. I'll put I'll put I'll put that on my uh, on my uh, my list of things to do. Oh, now I remember. I knew there was one more thing I wanted to to chat with you. Uh, I wanted to remind you that, uh, about a book uh, called "He Who Fights with Monsters." It's a uh, um, it's of course a, a Dungeons and Dragons base, like you know, a guy's in his regular world gets sucked into a magic world. You yes, know? and the the character is he's essentially a good guy and a, a geeky guy with his own personal quirks and issues. And the very first episode, he's talking about his you know scene one. You know, he gets sucked into the other world, and he's like, "Where are my Darth Vader pajamas?" 
So to me, I feel like that's foreshadowing from the very beginning of how this guy is going to go from a good guy to a Darth Vader character. Um, you know, because <laughs> he's wearing Darth Vader pajamas to bed. And he's obviously <laughs> evil. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's not evil, but in Darth Vader's eyes, he wasn't evil either. Right. When he can, when he converted, he was, you know, taking vengeance for his mother's death and, and <laughs> killing and killing the children in the Jedi Academy was perfectly justifiable. Justifiable. Yeah. Yep. Great. Sure. Remo- Got to get rid of those Jedis. Yep. Evil Jedi. <laughs> Evil Jedis. <laughs> but I think the only thing that I think that would be difficult for you is you, you don't seem to like long audiobooks or um, long reads. And this is definitely a verbose read. If it's an audio book that's going to go on, as long as it's got on, um, you know, like a, a good continuity that I can stick through, then I'm okay with it. Give it a try. Uh, Give yeah. it a try. The first one on audio because uh, he's Australian and okay. the narrator is Australian. So okay. there's, there's lots of um, good, like, I love listening to other dialects that are completely different. And, you know, just some of the words that they say, I'm like, wait a minute, what, <laughs> what did he say? I got, what? I got to hear that. But the, okay. you could tell right off the bat that this Kevin was in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> what? His name's Kevin. I didn't know yeah. that. <laughs> but uh, it would, yeah, you'll, you'll like the narrator is consistent through all the first four books. I just downloaded the fifth book uh, okay. and the narrator does a really great job with him. Okay. And he does, he does female voices and with, and you don't notice it. I mean, you just kind of get used to this character. You know, some people do it really well. Sometimes I don't like to hear um, a woman do a man's voice yep. because I don't think they do it real well or they're trying too hard. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so one where they do that is I listen to, and I subscribe to the, uh, and pay, Hey, I'm a patron patron for the age of Victoria podcast. Mm-hmm. And I usually use that as fodder for when I run rippers games in savage worlds, which is set in like Victorian England Mm-hmm. where the, the the villain i've talked about it on the show the villains are like werewolves and vampires and frankenstein and all the classic uh you know victorian era um villains and stories there mm-hmm. sherlock holmes is a hero and you know <laughs> so um so i listen to the age of victoria and he will frequently read passages from victoria's diary Mm-hmm. And when he does it, he, you know, he adopts a falsetto voice like this when he is reading it. And, and I don't mind it so much. I think it's, I've kind of gotten used to it, but, but often he gets um, feedback from, you know, listeners who just say like, I don't know why he's doing that. This is so stupid. It's, <laughs> it's like nails on a chalkboard. I can't listen to it. Yeah. So, that's, um, that's the thing. It's gotta be, it's gotta be subtle enough that you don't notice that w- what just happened here. exactly exactly i didn't you're like oh well pharaoh is now talking yep and what i what i prefer is like to have a um 
you know, have multiple voice actors, right? So in one, for instance, which is kind of funny. So one of my favorite superhero books of all time is Soon I Will Be Invincible by Austin Grossman. Great book, hugely entertaining. It's awesome. Um, the audio version, and, and the thing is the book is told from two points of view, one from the villain who's male and one from the heroine who's female. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because most of the, it, it's like, um, sort of like a diary or, you know, you're, it's, you're getting the villain's perspective and he's like, you know, he starts off reminiscing, you know, reminiscing or, um, ruminating about how he's going to bust out of prison this time. <laughs> and uh you know he's going on and on and on and then chapter two kicks in and galat uh not galatea uh fatal the 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 heroine starts taking over and in the book they have a male narrator for him and a female narrator for her but mm -hmm. there are times when they encounter each other where they do the other one's voice yeah so like all of a sudden the woman will say you know like you know, like um, oh and then he said this uh, you know or she does a male voice whereas the other way around so mm -hmm. that's a little bit like okay it's a little kind of a little funny but i guess my favorite would be like an audio production where you actually have different voices it doesn't have to be one actor per one character mm -hmm. but it's nice if you can have you know more than one voice doing the entire thing for a yeah. work of fiction so See, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a fan of that, but that's, that's why they make chocolate. There you go. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. I just, yep. I don't prefer it. And I really don't like sound effects in my audiobooks. That I can do without. And I thought one of the, one of the craziest ones to hear sound effects were was Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babbitt. <laughs> yeah. Like, why did you put that in there? All of a sudden, they just got you know, like we were in Ramadi, and then you hear, and I was like, I thought there's a book on business leadership. Is that what is this now? A Tom Clancy novel? <laughs> yeah. Well, so what I was in a, uh, I forget which one, but it, it has the 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 young guy from Breaking Bad. He's not young anymore. Jesse. But he, Jesse. Yeah, the actor who played Jesse. Uh, yep. It was a it was an audio book that he did, and I didn't like it. But uh, there were sound effects and I was going along and then like there's something behind me, you know, and and I'm I've got earbuds in both and I'm concerned something's really behind me because the sound goes. it sounds like something has happened right behind. I'm like, hey, I don't need this. <laughs> you know, I don't you know, I don't need these kind of sound effects that are making me jump while I'm on my tractor or whatever. I thought something <laughs> broke. <laughs> you know? I need you to read the words. <laughs> yeah just just give me the words and we're good so <laughs> speaking of being good i think we're about at time oh yeah we've uh, we've gone over everybody gets a bonus today is friday bonus content well it's like getting a tax <laughs> refund and you didn't even have to pay taxes <laughs> all right well i will take us out then so listener right. if you want to get in touch with us you can find adam at sublimecomp.com and he's also at sublimecomp on twitter which by the way we did not mention is on the uh has been offered to be purchased for an all-cash deal by the world's richest man elon musk i know i saw that <laughs> oh my god anyway you can find adam on twitter at sublime comp you can find me on twitter at nicolaitis you can also find me at nicolaitis.com or paradigmcc.com or 
yogawithpeter.com. But if you just start at pn72.com, you'll find links to all those other things. Nice. Um, you can find the podcast at blurringthelinespodcast.com. There's a contact form there and um, we will verify your email via DCAM and DMARC and make sure that it's not spam and sending us an open relay and all that other crap. <laughs> but um, yeah, love to hear from you. We like to hear topics. We like feedback. We'll even take criticism. I mean, we may not act on it, but we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the meantime, if you want to send us that, give us some contact. And until next time, um, we will see you here on the interwebs. And with that, Adam, I think it's time to push. Big red button. To contact either us or our guests, visit blurringthelinespodcast.com. If you like what you're hearing, do us a solid and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review in iTunes, Google Play Store, or wherever you found us.